Hi, welcome to the Art and Science of Learning, the podcast that digs deeper in how we learn, so that in today's accelerated world, we can learn better and enjoy it more. I'm your host, learning specialist, Dr. Kinga Petrovai. Every week, I discuss aspects of learning with academics, practitioners, and individuals with unique learning journeys to inform and inspire how you design learning into work and life. Rapid learning is critical in a crisis, but equally it is also critical in a quickly changing business landscape. However, doing it well, particularly in a crisis, requires individuals and organizations to integrate well-practiced learning strategies into the regular workflow long before a crisis occurs. The scan, orient, decide, and act loop, also known as the SOTA loop, is a strategy that has been used by the military and businesses alike to continuously notice where improvements can be made and learn to make them quickly. To explain how rapid learning can enable success in these uncertain times, my guest in this episode is a global health professional who has worked in a variety of high-pressure environments in which rapid learning was part of the job. Dr. Shen So Lin is Managing Director at Pharaoh's Global Health Advisors, a nonprofit policy and advisory organization whose mission is to save lives on a large scale by focusing on emerging issues in global health. Shan specializes in developing solutions to complex strategic, organizational, and operational issues affecting global health, and she helps organizations and governments focused on nutrition, HIV, TB, and maternal and child health issues. More recently, Shan has advised developing countries and NGOs on COVID control and published several op-eds in the New York Times, the Boston Globe, and Politico on domestic COVID control and return-to-work strategies. Thank you, Shan, for joining me on the podcast. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. So can you tell me a little bit about the type of work that you have done in which rapid learning was essential? Well, I think rapid learning is is essential to all the work that I do. I've spent most of my working career um, developing strategies, um, both for private companies and also for global health institutions, like big charities, governments, and big multilateral institutions like like the Global Fund or or Gavi that are really important and and playing a big role right now in in COVID. For all of the work that I've been doing in, in developing strategies and thinking about future plans, you know, rapid learning is is really integral to, to being successful. I think it's important because you're taking stock of the situation, um, assessing your own uh, personal strengths and, and capabilities as an organization, but also building in, or at least the strategies that I build for my clients have learning built in so that you can be learning and adapting and moving forward and changing all the time in response to whatever's happening. Um, it could be an environmental change, like, like a pandemic, for instance, or it could you need, or it could be even something like, you know, getting even more money and trying to figure out how to deploy it. So all of that just requires, you know, learning, changing and responding and repeating. So um, I think rapid learning is is really foundational to, to the work that, that I do. And it's such an important skill to develop in all workplaces, because regardless of the industry, technology is changing so quickly, the landscape is changing so quickly, there's surprises that happen that prevent from the normal progression. And it's such an important skill to learn. So I'm really happy that we're going to delve into this in more detail. So can you tell me an example of how rapid learning made a difference in one of these organizations? Like, can you draw a picture of what this looks like? 
So before COVID, I think at least for those of us, I think probably for all of us in the world, I don't think even you have to be a disease specialist. There's like before COVID and there was after COVID. <laughs> and so before COVID yeah. in pandemic peacetime, you know, rapid learning was still rapid, but it was stretched out longer. Like you could be learning, say for a year and 18 months, setting a plan, seeing how it works, and then making, you know, minor adaptations um, as you were moving forward. I think with COVID's arrival and just having to learn entirely about how a new pathogen is working and how it has upended everything, rapid learning has just become far more rapid and the cycles have mm-hmm. shortened um, and, and changed. And so it's been interesting that, you know, before February of 2020, like nobody was a COVID expert. You see how much that has exploded. Um, so we were one of the earliest people who at least knew some things about respiratory viruses. We knew some things about how epidemics happened. Um, We knew a few things about SARS and how previous analogs had happened. So we were relatively well positioned to help some people, including like a hotel union, figure out quickly how to protect their workers, to do that in a way that would keep workers safe while still keeping the business open, Um, trying to do this, this balance between lives and livelihoods. So that was, that's just one example of, of where we've we've used this and how to adapt and change and learn um, and keep repeating um, in in a very dynamic environment. And so, with that, for example, a hotel chain that you are helping, you implemented this. You were teaching them how to go through rapid learning, and what was the difference that it made, especially in such a dynamic environment? Um, it was a a big mix of, of corporate who wanted you know to keep to keep business open as much as possible. Um, housekeepers were very fearful, um, you know, with good reason about what health risks they were taking. So it was about taking a very large scan, trying to make the best judgments that we could about what activities seemed safe and like which ones didn't, what protocols could be implemented, you know, at what cost, um, and just trying to make a balance and seeing like, did it work in real life? You know, how hard was it to be implementing these protocols? Like, what did that mean? And did any of these, like as informa- as new information was coming in, maybe we could start ditching some of the things that, that just didn't make sense and also implementing new things that turned out to be really important. You know, we know now, for instance, that although sanitization is important, you know, ventilation is way more important. So those are those are just things that got rolled into protocols as they, they changed and having to do this like very fast, you know, in just like right. a few days. Certainly a challenging, challenging thing to do. So before we go any further, let's discuss a little bit about this rapid learning. So as I mentioned in the introduction, the scan, orient, decide, and act soda loop, that is the methodology that you use. So can you tell me a little bit more about that and explain what that means? So the soda loop is not a new concept. Um, it was actually developed in, I think the seventies from like the U S military. It was one of uh, a a colonel in the air force who made this observation that there was just this belief that U S fighter pilots were just superior because they had better planes and they had better training than their adversaries. But he said, well, if that was true, then, you know, all pilots would have equal numbers of kills. And it turns out that there was like, you know, 10% of the pilots just killed like 90% of the enemy fighters. And so he was trying to think through why that was. And he figured out that it was the very successful pilots were able to do this scan, orient, decide, act, loop, and do it quickly and keep cycling. They kept responding quickly to whatever um, the enemy fighters were doing and were able to adapt and overcome. And by 
looping really fast. They were just able to confuse um, and disorient and then eventually like disable enemy fighters. And so just taking like a very aggressive military example, but applying it to business, which again has an element of competition to it, but then also even just trying to achieve a goal. So it's like using that kind of rapid learning loop to, to provide some discipline and structure into how to respond to like ever-changing threats or, you know, new things that are coming up. It doesn't have to be necessarily a negative threat thing. It could be a new opportunity, for instance, that you should be um, observing and orienting. And these loops, um, like I was saying earlier, earlier, could be done, you know, on like a three-month or like a year-long cycle, or it could be done, you know, in minutes. If you're responding to a crisis or a disaster, you know, you've got to be looping um, all the time. And it's a very useful concept because it also gives you permission I think as a leader or as a participant to, to change your plan. I think this isn't to say like, well, here's the plan that I made and this is the hill that we're all going to die on. <laughs> and yeah. giving yourself permission to say, okay, I'm going to like see if anything changed. You know, the target is the same, whether it's, you know, kill as many enemy fighters or, you know, dominate a business thing or in, you know, my field of work, try to save as many lives with like the least amount of money possible. The goal is fixed, but you know, how you get there can change depending on changing circumstances. A lot of industries are focused on being agile. Being agile in some ways seems like it's a part of the soda. Loop. Yes. How do the two relate? So they are, they're like intrinsically related to each other. The agile concepts of business um, apply a lot of the same soda principles. But I think it's also important that to be doing agile right, and there's actually a really good book like by that title calling I think, Doing Agile Right, looping unnecessarily or losing focus on what your target is can be self-defeating also. Then you're just flailing. <laughs> so it's mm-hmm. looping, but you know, keeping focused on, on the goal and doing the analysis correctly and making the right changes. So just looping in itself is not enough. Of course, looping correctly is like what, what gets you to what you want. So really, these two concepts come together in the sense that you want to be an agile organization, yes. but you want to build that into this soda loop so that your agility is actually going towards the greater purpose and focus. You know, if you, the deeper you get into agile as a theory, it, it's not a magical panacea. And there's a lot of examples of companies who did agile wrong and change things that were really fundamental to either who they were as companies or, you know, changed their competitive advantage and for the sake of change. Doing those things, of course, is, is usually quite detrimental to where you're trying to go. So again, mm-hmm. analysis part, the, the space between the orient and decision, like that, that sort of those two bookmarks is, is a really the most important part in some ways, like of the entire soda loop. You already gave an example of a hotel and how you were trying to adjust their business and learn very quickly on how they should keep their business open in a safe way. So can you use the soda loop and explain how each phase, what that looked like in that example? So in that example, it was scanning the environment. So hotels where um, had like very low business, there were some people who were still coming in occupancy was, you know, less than 20%. There was a huge, terrible pandemic that nobody understood. There was this new pathogen. People they were being told to wash their hands and no one knew about masking or any of those things yet. So we were still in the sort of like early miasma theory of, of COVID. So that's, that's the scan. So the observations, um, that was where we really started to come in because we had our expertise. We were able to read and analyze the data that was coming in rapidly about this 
respiratory pathogen. Um, although getting virus into your system, you know, through your eyes or through your hands was, was not great. Um, probably the biggest risk was actually like through aerosols. And so looking entirely at what housekeepers did um, in their job descriptions, mm-hmm. in their just even moving around, we said that the biggest risks to them as housekeepers was probably actually like in the break room. It was actually, you know, if you were spending too much time in a small enclosed space with other people, there's probably less risk in, in cleaning an empty hotel room than there was in just being you know, tightly packed together in break rooms. We advised, you know, resting rooms for at least 24 hours, like after guests had left, because again, we were, we were seeing that actually the best way rather than trying to spend hours sanitizing room was just to like let the just naturally decontaminate itself. So again, we're just sort of like the, the orientation parts of it leading to decisions of like, these are the things that are really important to do. These are the things that are less important to do. They're mission critical. These can be flexible. And here's like kind of how you advertise like what you're trying to do and to keep your employees safe. And then the actions where were the things that the, that the hotel ultimately decided to do, you know, sort of very like mechanical way and like a very small example. And then you could that out into much bigger things about, again, on a, on a shorter or, or sort of a longer time frame, but having other strategic questions, like having, you know, a new charity that was starting and saying, you know, we've got $20 million a year to spend on anything that we want. Like, what should that be? Starting with a scan of, you know, where are the greatest needs, you know, in global health, you know, where are the starting to orient, say, of those needs, which are the ones that really could be where catalytic money would be helpful because the $20 million, it's not 20 billion. So what's the most that we can do with this amount of money and then making decisions based on which ones of those options, you know, fit with the founder's values, feasibility, you know, whether there is, whether other players already in the space, like where like unmet needs and then, you know, making decisions like to act. So this is a, I think like a pretty nimble, but also like multi-use just way of thinking. What is the key to making it rapid? What is the information that people should have on how to make this a fast and continuous loop? I think that, I mean, the the most important part is to remember that it's a loop. So when you've acted, like you're not done, Mm -hmm. you've got to start with the scan again to see, okay, like what happened as a result of my actions, what went well, what didn't. So loop number two doesn't start with such a huge scan anymore. It scans the part that you were trying to work on you scan and then you, you see what worked and what didn't, and then you like make a decision and then you act again and then, then mm-hmm. loop again. So hopefully if you're doing this correctly, your loop should be getting tighter and tighter. Um, if your new set of actions is you know dramatically different every time, then there's something wrong with some of the other steps, I would say, unless there's been something, you know, hugely different that happened right. um, environmentally, the loop should be getting tighter your the deltas between your actions should be getting smaller and smaller really good to delve into what we wanted to focus on is the future of work Mm -hmm. because of course rapid learning as you said military hospitals pandemic hotels it applies to literally every aspect of industry but let's talk about the future of work and going back to work you know coming out of this pandemic one of the big changes is how we're going to work and how we are going to go back to the office. So there are a lot of discussions at the executive level of the workplace. What will it look like after everyone is able to return to the office? 
And because most likely the way we work and the nature of the work will change. So of course, we've talked about the future of work for a long time, uh, but now it's really even more different than what we thought before. Can you elaborate on what the challenges will be in returning to work and why rapid learning will be a really important part of this or should be as companies are considering bringing their employees back to the office? What should they be considering and how to apply this? I think this is, you know, hugely again relevant for this because what the workplace is going to look like, I think already has dramatically shifted and I think it's going to stay that way or at least it's not going to go back to the way that it was in 2019. For one thing, it turns out a lot of people like at minimum a hybrid model. People have started to realize, you know, how much more they can do if they're not commuting. I think a full-blown, you know, 100% return to work part is probably not going to work for a lot of employers. Which has already been a movement before the pandemic. There was definitely a movement towards flexible, you know, being location independent and and having some flexible work, but this is now completely in the mainstream now, obviously. Yes, and as part of a, a scan on that, actually there's been multiple evolutions or attempts to do that, but it turns out it did not work. It did not promote workplace equity or didn't give the same level of opportunity to people because if you had a choice to go back to work or not or you know to work full-time from home, while some employees really appreciated that, that flexibility, it turns out it decreased your face time with your boss. And then like overall, it just, there's just more pressure to be present. So it turns out hybrid work models only work if everyone does it. Otherwise it will just drift back to everyone being, being together. So there's certainly some progressive companies, um, you know, I think Google and Twitter, I think the ones that have said that they may just do like hybrid forever and others, uh, maybe not Google. I'm pretty sure it's Twitter though. And others, you know, who've really thought they would be, you know, making everyone go back to work like in September. And so I think certainly to employers, a competitive advantage for those companies in the knowledge industry, I mean, really any company, but where your your people are, are your assets more than anybody else to take this, you know, very seriously and figure out a way if there's any changes that can be made to just improve employee engagement, you know, efficient safety, mobile, like upward mobility, like all of those things and using a different model and in a way that, you know, can be responsive to a pathogen that is not going away. Because I think that- so what would rapid learning look like from the organizational level to manage the creation of the new workplace? Well, what do you think from the organization level rapid learning should look like to be effective? I think finding ways to take, you know, better sample data points for employees to see like what's working and what okay. isn't. Also balancing that against um, the very real, you know, business needs. Like I think people sometimes forget like work is to achieve a purpose. I mean, it should make you happy and it should keep you fulfilled, but work is also still work. <laughs> so like work needs to be done. Like um, the company productivity needs to be taken into account. And also thinking again of this, like as a, as a learning loop, that sampling at a, free, at a frequency that makes sense to know how are things shifting and how are things changing. So what do you mean by that to get more data points from employees? Because I think people would automatically think, they put out a survey saying, how would mm-hmm. you like to work? Which a lot of companies have now done saying, would you like to be back in the office, home or yes. hybrid? But what how, what kind of additional nuances would be? I think, fun? you know, because those surveys also, I mean, I don't know personally enough about, about that level of like qualitative um, data gathering, but at least doing it at a frequency in a way that keeps it fresh also, because I think, you know, if you have the same survey know, every month or whatever, it's, sometimes it can be like eye rolling. I think also um, for HR departments to be doing, you know, a lot of 
direct probably employee engagement, um, having, you know, like small focus group interviews and doing that periodically. And again, at a frequency that, that works for whatever makes most sense for, for that industry or that company. Um, Cause knowing that things are changing, like it's a, it's a learning loop because most um, I think fortune 500 companies had expected to be going back to work and returning now in September and it's getting deferred. Um, I think also having clear communication with um, employees about what would determine going back to work safely or not. I mean, I think a lot of this feels like it's being made up on the fly, but I think having, you know, clear guidelines about, you know, rising case rates, um, taking a more sort of, taking a more standardized approach, I think, to this rather than just being reactive, I think would, would help employees feel more secure. I, I speak to a lot of friends right now who were dismayed that it seems like some of the, the companies that they work for, we are already planning very large in-person meetings offsite in Florida in two weeks, mm. which like, doesn't seem like a really great idea. Um, and although there are hybrid options available, you know, there's always still subtle pressure to be there in person. And so I think, again, having companies be aware of those things, again, keep sight of their goals that they're trying to have, which is to have a fair, inclusive, productive place that's, you know, a place that everybody wants to be at and in a way that keeps everyone safe. So keeping those and, and, you know, profitable. So keeping all of those things, all of those goals in mind as you're looping to figure out how to, how best to do this in response to a change pathogen. It's, it's not easy. So we just know that, that, that you have to, and because things are changing, you need to keep learning, sampling, orienting, deciding, acting, and repeating. And even without the pandemic, it's that matter of there's so many people leaving the workforce yeah. now and leaving it very early. And there's reasons for that. And what are those reasons? And those are pent up reasons from quite a while back in many cases. So having that scan of, as you said, getting many data points from all sorts of your employees, different sources to be able to scan, orient, decide, mm-hmm. and then act, and then create that very quickly. Is there something that you could think would be important for organizations to implement so that that looping becomes, because as you said, doing this once is goes completely against the yeah. purpose. So what is that trigger? What is that hump that needs to be overcome in order to make this effective as an organization? I mean, I think that's really hard. Um, so I think, you know, getting some guidance, I mean, you know, companies that are large and have really, really good HR departments, like who value their people, I think this would be like very easy for them. E- easier, nothing's I think very easy, but easier to be doing. And also there's a, there's a transparency and communication element that needs to also be factored in to make sure that employees feel heard and feel understood. And, and at least there's some buy-in for decisions that, that are being made on a, on a cyclical basis. So I think part of that is just, is just the impetus and, you know, even having a desire to want to do something like this already is a step in the right direction, but it's not a natural way for all companies to think. And so um, certainly not a, a natural way for companies to be responding to a pandemic that's changing daily. <laughs> so yeah. Everyone's in a rapid learning environment, whether they want to think about it that way or not. So is someone responsible for the triggering or is, is it somehow built into the flow? Of I would work? hope that it was built into, you know, a company's HR culture, maybe not HR, but just the overall company culture about how you make decisions as a company that affect everyone. But, you know, for companies that, don't do that or haven't done it in a long time that have to sort of like refresh this process. That's, that's in itself going to be a whole learning curve. Absolutely. And as you said, often it's very important to have that external help in order to create those habits and structures to make it 
make it stick. So on an individual level, what what should they be doing to become better at this? I think it's super useful also on an individual level. I think in cases where where there's a lot of decision fatigue or whether you know you're just feeling very overwhelmed um, about something, um, which I think is pretty common and maybe especially common in today and given where we are now, climate change, pandemics, Afghanistan, <laughs> these are just like pick hurricanes, like pick any crisis really that you that you want. I think it really yeah. feels to me anyway, like one of the most turbulent times. I think this just recentering around this loop can help you to say, okay, I'm overwhelmed. I don't know where to start. So I'm just, I'm going to start with scan. I'm not going to think about like what I'm going to do. I'm just going to, I'm just going to look around. <laughs> I'm just going to just see what's going on. And then I'm going to orient myself and just say like, where do I fit in what's happening? What is it that I'm trying to accomplish? What am I good at? So as you said, it is overwhelming. There's a lot, all of those factors that you mentioned, there's also people's jobs are constantly changing, technology's changing. There's a million things, which is very overwhelming. Mm -hmm. So when you're doing a scan, what are some tips you would have for an individual? Um, I guess it's sort of hard to think about this in sort of without the problem is, I guess. But, you know, if you're feeling overwhelmed because your kid's daycare has closed again for the fourth time in like three days and you're worried about your job or you're worried about returning back to work in person. I think part of it is just breathing and they're just saying, okay, COVID's not going away. So I have to find a way to, you know, live with this. What can I do to make myself feel safer or to, you know, try to buffer against some of these like shocks that are going to be coming. Um, I'm thinking, especially a lot of my friends right now are struggling with like going back to school with their children, some of whom made it, you know, four days before there was a COVID case, like in their class. So again, just as part of the scan saying, these are things that are going to happen. I don't have control over them. So part of that is like, there's a scan orient relationship there. Your orientation is, you know, I can't, these are things I can change. These are things I can't. So of the things that I can change or at least influence, like what are some of the things I can do about that? So that's your decide part and then act and then know that it's not fixed. It's not forever. You will probably have to loop again the following week. At least it, it makes you feel, at least it's helpful for me to feel like you're, there's still a chance to try again and not because you were wrong, but because something else changed or maybe a new opportunity presented itself. So it just, it, it also is a way to make you stop, slow down and think about things in smaller pieces. If you have, if you have something that's, you know, seems very overwhelming. Yes, absolutely. That's a really good way of looking at it. For example, in terms of a, of a job going back to work, for example, and having different ways of working, needing to work in different ways, what would be some of the important things to think about in a scan? So now we're going into maybe a hybrid or, or we're using new technologies to do mm-hmm. that. The type of work we're doing or the environment of the industry is, is mm-hmm. shifted. What should be some of the important things to consider in that scan? I think part of it is, you know, just doing a kind of assessment to say, what does work look like for the next three to six months? Like what's you know anticipated to be on my plate, what seems to be happening in terms of return to work policies or guidance. And then as part of the orientation step, it would be what is in this, in these last 18 months, like what has been working for me in terms of like working effectively and also working sustainably. You know, when am I at my most um, effective? How do I, when am I working well? And even if you're being, you know, I hope no one's forced, but some people are being pulled back into the office sooner than they would like. 
others want to go back into the office and can't. So there's like both sides of, of this as well. And to look at, you know, the strengths and some of the challenges and just try to find some balance between that that's working or that will work better given whatever is happening. One of the reasons I really like this rapid learning first, because in our modern world, we do need to be able to learn faster and faster in a way that is not, it needs to be a habit so that it's not overwhelming. It's not exhausting because of course, learning anything new takes energy. So this creates a real habit for it, but it also combines all the different things that we we talked about agile before. It also brings in reflection, which is a huge part of learning and a very important aspect of learning and also defining the problem, which is extremely important. But both of those things, reflection and defining the problem is often missing in very busy organizations who just want to get things done and need to get things done. But it is just such a critical aspect of it. So this really ties these things together that are extremely important for production and success and and good learning. I mean, what is the danger of not implementing this? Because learning has, of course, everyone said learning is important, but it doesn't always get the front row seat. It should. What do you think is the danger of not implementing this properly? I think the danger of not doing that is like pretty profound. I think the fighter analogy is apt here because if, if you're not learning as fast as the other person that you're in some kind of struggle with and like you're the one who's going to get blown out of the sky <laughs> so that's like kind of yeah you know and, and and it's not even like a thing that's as you know serious as say dying but it means that you may not get all the opportunities that you otherwise like could have had exactly you could potentially like if you're a company you know you're you fail to adapt because things mm-hmm. and just recognizing that things are changing all the time but also knowing and having confidence that if you're a good learner you can respond to it you can do something about it because otherwise you're the one, you're the other pilot who's overwhelmed, getting disoriented because someone's just doing a bunch of stuff to you and you don't know what to do. So just you know, slowing down and being like, okay, like what is happening? Like what is happening? And like, what can I do? Oh, I'm going to go do that. <laughs> like that's um, yes. That can really just help, um, I think, just break through the noise and just, just remind yourself again, like you can do things. You're a good learner. You're a good learner, right? I can learn. I can learn how to like do better. Um, you know, all of that, like you were saying about habits, um, you know, really matters. Just be confident as an individual, be confident as a manager, be confident as an organization that you're capable of and like learning is very important. And it becomes a lot easier once it is a continuous process. You don't just go off on a course, then come back, implement, then go off. This is the important aspect of learning in the modern workforce and in the modern world is that you need to create into your life, into your organization structures that are a continuous flowing way of learning. And this is exactly what, uh, what rapid learning does. If an organization or an individual is looking and say, who, where do I start? How should I, how should I get this started in my organization or, or me personally? What, what, what would you suggest? There's a lot of pretty good books out there. It's like a good place to start. And I'm, I don't know if this like dates me, I'm just a bookworm. So if I want to like learn something new, I start with a book. <laughs> great place to start. (laughs) There's a lot of very good thinking and, and really clear, short, incisive writing. Like HBR has several articles. Doing Agile Right is a really, really good book. It's called Doing Agile Right. Um, A book that just someone just gave to me 
I don't remember. I think they just thought I would like it. And I just thought it was a book that, you know, had a lot of wisdom. It was very simple, simple to read and understand and, you know, very clear about um, in action oriented about things that you could do both as an individual and as a company all to do this correctly. Have you seen in your experience working with a lot of organizations, any pitfalls, any common pitfalls that maybe people should, you know, have in their mind? I think, you know, it's like agility, it's, it's rebranded every now and then. I can't think of the other words, but, you know, disruption. Everyone was trying to disrupt things for a while, right? Everyone was trying to be agile for a while. I mean, these are all different names for the same concept. Mm-hmm. Being disruptive for the sake of disruption or just thinking you need to, like, do more stuff. Like, those things are not helpful. They are a good intention, you know, badly applied. Being disciplined and, you know, remaining focused on a good goal, and being honest with yourself um, as an organization about, you know, what you are good at and what you are not good at. And is there anything that you can do to fix the things that you are not good at or some things you just never be good at? I mean, I'm, I'm five feet tall. I will never be an NBA basketball player, no matter how hard I try. So you just have to just accept that and move on. I am, I am yes. good at other things. And so like, it means I could still play basketball recreationally. So, I mean, there, you know, there's, there's gray zones in between, but being, you know, honest, thoughtful and accurate about your analysis and being humble and and willing and flexible to change. That's really like where the agility part comes from. But just being bendy for no reason is is not is not enough. Yeah. Always reflect back on why are we doing what we're doing? What is the ultimate purpose? That's really good. Yeah. And and am I doing it well? And if not, can I fix it? Yeah. That's sort of a different way of a soda loop. So as the workplace is being redefined and redesigned, what do you really hope to be implemented or considered in this new workforce? I hope in the end that we get like a better workplace. In what way? I think in a way that gives people more, more space to be sustainable. I think, you know, this pandemic, there's, there's some silver linings to it. I think it made people value family time more. It made people, I think it was just kind of like a giant timeout for the world. (laughs) So like gave you time to really think about the things that were important to you and, and work is an integral part of like all of our of our lives. So I think having a workspace that could still allow people, you know, to achieve and be productive and make important contributions and learn and grow, because that's like that's the best part about a good workplace. And in a way that still promotes fairness and equity, especially for women who've been hurt hard and have to struggle harder and you know, learn new ways to still be heard and be effective and make contributions like through video, which doesn't always translate well for all kinds of people and balance work, the work and life, childcare, all of those things. But, you know, I think there is a way through all this to be more fair, more sustainable and still creative and dynamic. I hope technology is helping us to do things better. It's using new problems. So I think. <laughs> yes. It's a fine line, isn't it? Because it can really help us to do mm-hmm. things better, but it can very quickly without the proper reflection mm-hmm. and thought it can very quickly make our work and life a lot more difficult as well. So it's important really to implement this continuous learning and doing it quickly and effectively. That's really fantastic and really interesting uh, points that you made. Before we end, I always like to ask about a recommendation for something to read or listen to or watch that inspires you in this space. Yeah, I I mean, other than like, I think like Harvard Business Review just is like really lovely, lovely accessible concepts and things um i will say that 
from a really good friend of mine. His name is Nikhil Bojwani. He's a, a former BCG principal. He is actually a managing director at a Boston-based company called Recon Strategy. Um, has really applied a lot of these soda loop concepts in fighting COVID. He actually helped to set up, along with CIC Health, um, the first mass back sites in Boston. And so they did it in like two weeks. And like no one had ever set up a mass back site before. And there's all these like different regulatory hurdles, you know, learning how to funnel people through and do it in a way that was really um, service oriented, making people feel good about being there, making sure that the just the customer experience was like really, really top notch. Um, I just think that they did just an incredible job and they, you know, spoke to Nikhil quite frequently through this and just like how much he was learning every day about like queuing theory, <laughs> just like where the bottlenecks were. And I mean, just, he did a, a great, great job um, as part of a larger team. I think he's actually written about this, like in Harvard Business Review. So I would, I would certainly uh, recommend his writing. He's also worked um, quite closely with Atul Gawande, who was also part of the effort. And so um, just incorporating learning into, you know, into crisis management. Thank you so much for, I know how extremely busy you are, and I'm so glad that you came on the podcast and shared this really important concept that, again, is applicable to everyone and every workplace, and it's only going to be more important as we go on. Thank you very much for providing your expertise and insights. It was great seeing you. Well, thank you for um, having me. It was really great to learn from you too, and it's just, it's nice to talk to someone it's not an epidemiologist, like a virologist. But it's amazing. Another way that cross disciplines, right? Because you've spent your entire career really focusing on diseases and different ways that that becomes a problem. Mm-hmm. But the tools that you're using, as what we discussed, applies to every industry. So it's it's such an important thing to learn from each other and f- learn from the expertise that you've had in this field. So thank you. Thanks for the opportunity.